Coming to you from Silver Spring, Maryland, welcome to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation on life principles, contemporary issues, and thought-provoking perspectives. Now here's your host, Justin Kim, with Inverse. Hey everyone, my name is Justin and this is Inverse and we're in the studio talking about a very precious topic to all of us. So before we get started, I want to acknowledge my friends here. We have Siku and Israel. Hey guys. Hello. And on my left and your right, you have Jonathan. Hey, Justin. And we are under not a full compliment. We still love our brother Sebastian and sister Callie will say, hey guys out there. And they have moved on. (laughs) (laughs) They have moved on to bigger and better things that the Lord is leading them in. And we are just this week, it will be the four of us this quarter. The remnant. The remnant, the four of us, the remnant. We are not talking about the remnant, but something similar to the remnant is the heritage of the Adventist faith. We call it Adventist heritage. We're going to delve into our identity, our mission, our message, kind of like why, why, who we are and why and how and, and all those questions. So uh, we're going to look at a lot of passages of Scripture, but we're also going to look at some passages that are not in Scripture uh, that didn't make sense. Uh, some other passages in Adventist history is what I wanted to say. And you can follow along if you go to inversebible.org. Uh, you can look at our study guides there. And this is the quarter on Adventist heritage, Adventist heritage. So let's start with a word of prayer. And Siku, can you pray for us? Sure. Let us pray. Loving Father, we're thankful that we have the opportunity to come together to study your word once more. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher and our guide. And we pray that now our hearts would be receptive to receive your spirit, to understand the things that you would have for us to learn, Mm. that the conversation and the study that we have now would be beneficial for our own soul salvation and for those who are going to hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Also curious, uh, we got some new, new, a new audio set up, uh, I should say. So curious what you guys think. Let us know on social media if you can hear us better. Uh, it does change <laughs> the dynamic of our conversation a bit, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, hearing you all in a, you guys are like in my head, like literally <laughs> in my head. Not literally in my head. Anyway, so <laughs> let's go and um, uh, let's see. What should we do? Jonathan. Yes. Um, let's start us off here with our first lesson. Sure. Um, our church started, uh, we're talking about the, the Adventist faith, the Adventist denomination, Seventh-day mm-hmm. Adventism. It started in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And give us a, a short primer on, on how it got started and why 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 are we talking about these old things? Mm. Yeah. You know, um, I think what we have to clarify is that uh, there is no this idea of all these denominations. You know, mm. that's a, that's some organizational structures that have been put in place by humans. But from God's perspective, there's only faithful people mm. and not faithful people. Mm. And so, all throughout Scripture, you have those who are you know faithful. Often, it's a remnant within you know a group of called people. Um, but God has always been faithful to them and has covenant with anyone who who believes in Him and in mm. His Word. And throughout history, um, you have seen. Uh, that you know continue even after you know Christ went to heaven um, in the 1800s there was um, this uh, you know the, the, the a great movement uh, surrounding an understanding of the prophecies of the book of Daniel and Revelation mm-hmm. and people were uh, coming back to Bible truth and one of the understandings of the book of Daniel Revelation came through the preaching of William Miller now he was he was not a pastor he was not a, a theologian he was just a man who um, through an experience he had during the, I think, the Revolutionary War, mm-hmm. uh, where he felt like, you know, the, 
Yeah, the world. Okay, yep, yeah, yeah. Revolution. Right, it was a revolution. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> he 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 felt like, whoa, God. God cares about us, uh, where he before did not really have that uh, understanding of God. And so he said, I need to understand God better. Mm-hmm. So he started studying the Bible. And when he came to the book of Daniel and the prophecies in there, Daniel 8 um, and, and others as well, he realized that the second coming of Jesus is very soon. In fact, he believed that the second coming of Jesus was going to happen in the year uh, 1843. Mm-hmm. Later, they adjusted it to 1844. This kick-started uh, a whole uh, movement around the world. People you know, mm-hmm. starting to study uh, the prophecy. It's called the, the Second Great, Great Awakening, Awakening mm-hmm. yeah, in history. Uh, people can, you can look it up on Wikipedia yeah. to see. The, the, the first one happened, uh, I forget, in the 1700s, mm-hmm. yeah, in America, North America generally. Yeah. Um, and it was, I forget who the, the big preacher was. Um, uh, anyway, look West, it up, let West, us know what it West, was. <laughs> look it up. Yeah. Um, it was the big preacher guy. Uh, oh man, it just hits on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. He would say Meso- Mesopotamia, and people would cry that it was so eloquent. Wow. Um, <laughs> anyway, so he was a big guy, and yeah. everyone knew who he was, and we don't. Uh, but then the second Great Awakening is in the 1800s. Yes. And it was started from this this humble guy, yeah. Miller. And he didn't want to he didn't want to share these, but he felt like the Lord really impressed him. You need to mm-hmm. share this. And he was a Baptist, mm-hmm. um, and um, he shared it. And people started, you know, converting, starting to become serious with the Lord because they thought he's coming. Mm-hmm. And um, 1844 came, um, and uh, Jesus did not return. Mm-hmm. And so out of that, um, you know, a lot of people kind of, like, dismissed all of this, and like, oh, you know, we were fooled. Mm-hmm. But there were some who were like, this made too much sense. We must have misunderstood something in the prophecies. And out of that movement eventually grew the, the people who would, you know, later organize themselves as Seventh-day Adventists. But there was mm-hmm. a lot of other things that played into that. So... Seventh-day Adventists are not Millerites in the sense that they were, you know, there were no Seventh-day Adventists in those days. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they were Adventists, people who believed in the soon second coming of Jesus. And out of that movement grew, uh, you know, uh, later on, the Mm -hmm. Seventh-day Adventist Church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is um, either, uh, I I find the reaction to history is one of either two ways. One is like, wow, that's so amazing. Mm -hmm. Hey, I got to go look it up. And for me, my source is Wikipedia. Not the greatest uh, (laughs) form of accuracy, but it's just briefly all there. Uh, And I'm like, oh, you want to delve into it? Or the other reaction is like, man, what is Man, you know, mm-hmm. um, help us, help us with that. Like, why, 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 why are we looking at the 1800s? Mm-hmm. Um, not even the 1900s, and we're we're entering a generation where even 1900s. Uh, you know, my son was like, "Dad, were you born in the 1900s?" And I'm like, "Yeah," which was not late, that long ago, in the late 1900s. <laughs> the late 1900s, and he's like, "Wow!" Like, did they have like computers back then? I'm like. <clears throat> Son, <laughs> um, so we're we're kind of we're not just just one gen removed. This is quite going far. I mean, it's not ancient history. So I mean, help us. What's what's the, what's the relevant point? Touch points here. Um, first thing for me, uh, I'm I'm married to someone of Filipino origin. Mm. Origin. Well, his parents are Filipino, mm. and yeah. he was born in the United States, but mm. um, he comes from a Filipino background, and I'm from Zimbabwe originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that you know we've talked about often is that having our different backgrounds, the mm-hmm. one thing that we share in common is our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, that being Seventh Day Adventist and our Adventist um, belief system is is core to our identity. Mm-hmm. And actually, whenever we have moments of conflict, we go back to what does the Bible say, mm-hmm. um, and that becomes the foundation. Not just how did I grow up, how was it done when I was a kid, um, mm-hmm. what did my parents teach me. It's like, what does the Bible say? And our Bible faith is is really the core of our identity. Mm. 
even though we come from you know these different backgrounds um, supersedes your culture right mm. it it is a culture unto itself so mm. to speak and um being seventh day adventist adventist and understanding our origins understanding where we came from understanding how our our belief system developed mm. It's core to understanding who we are, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's core to understanding, you know, what, 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 what's in our fabric, what's in our makeup. Mm-hmm. And it's the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it all put together, you mm-hmm. know, understanding that is part of understanding who we are as Seventh-day Adventists today. Mm-hmm. If, oh, can I just add something? Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, did I interrupt you? No, you're good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, I mentioned, what I mentioned earlier, what I, what I failed to mention really is that you know, the Seventh-day Adventist Church didn't just grow out of all the great disappointment. Um, it is a prophetic movement throughout the whole experience. So prophetically, call, uh, you know, at the, you had the prophecies of Daniel 8.14, which, which were relevant for the year 1844. Uh, you know, it just meant something else. It meant not mm-hmm. the second coming of Jesus, but the, the you know, the antitypical Day of Atonement, which we're going to look at later. And we have looked at before. Um, but it also... So let me just interrupt here. I mean, yes, just, yes, that yes. was like a, just like a concentrated... <laughs> just dropping like, that in there. <laughs> yeah. uh, if I can just add really quick. Sure. I just uh, really simply how I understand is the great lobster claw of Daniel. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so you have, you have you one little... You spent too much time in Maryland. Uh, you know, it's how it works. Um, you have one little uh, thumb here and you have a larger thing here. Just for the visual, right? Mm-hmm. So those of us who believe that Jesus came and died and ministered... We know that Jesus' ministry is rooted in 27 AD when his ministry started, mm-hmm. and then he was crucified 30.5, uh, <laughs> and then uh, Jesus stood up uh, in heaven during Stephen's stoning, which marked the the end of probation for the Jews, that, that last... Um, Study study the prophecy there, but the, 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 it's rooted in Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's that, this is where the thumbnail is. You go back, and this is the the four ninety uh, prophecy of Daniel nine. It goes mm-hmm. back to four fifty seven, and you shoot back, uh, shoot forward, I should say, two thousand three hundred years before it arrives at. Am I right? Five thirty eight. 538. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm mixing up another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it shoots, back, shoots forward uh, 2,300 years. So the whole point, um, I guess my point is this. Yeah. This isn't eclectic, weird prophecy. No. This isn't something minor. Mm-hmm. This is something that if you believe in Jesus and you believe he came in historical yes. time and flesh and, and, and he ascended up to heaven, then that, that time that his, his coming was prophesied. Yes. And this is just as rooted to, to 1844, the yes. great, I call the lobster it, claw. It's part of, of Jesus' ministry. His yes. ministry on earth didn't finish his ministry. He continued his ministry in the heavenly sanctuary, which mm-hmm. is where 1844 comes in. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get, yeah, we'll yeah, get, yeah. We'll get there. But one more thing I wanted to yeah. say okay. that uh, as part of the prophetic calling is the fact that Revelation chapter 10 actually also um, prophetically describes exactly the experience of the Millerites. Yes. Which okay. is, which is, so it's another anchor point for the prophetic movement of the seven, you know, seven Adventist movement uh, can, can, it's not just, okay, let's make another denomination. Um, they never actually intended it, but then they realized God has literally called them prophetically into their role in the last mm. days. So that's where the anchor points are for, for Adventists. This mm-hmm. is why it's so important that we yeah. understand this. This is not just some, oh, you know, I'm just part of some random denomination. Anyone can start a denomination these days. So the time thing, and you're saying also the experience mm-hmm. was pointed forward already in scripture. In prophecy. In prophecy. Yeah, yeah that's, Which cool. I think, that's cool. What, what I think it's great about what you were saying, Jonathan, is that it gives us a solid foundation mm. for our identity yeah. as, as Seventh-day Adventists mm. today. I take it from a different angle. Um, for me, what, what the reason why prophecy and history is critical 
is, first of all, prophecy to us always had a context. You know, when you look at the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, they mm-hmm. have an immediate context. So King Nebuchadnezzar, for example, in the, in the prophecies of Daniel, he's, he's troubled by what is happening in the future. And so in that context, Daniel speaks to him. So th- there are so many things that we worry about in terms of the future, in terms of what's going to happen, how things are going to end. You're looking at wars and rumors of wars and mm-hmm. pandemics and you know social anxiety and chaos. And the Bible from the very, very beginning has given us the prophetic gift to say, this is going to end right, mm-hmm. you know, and because of that, it'll end right because there's a God. And because of that, even in the midst of chaos, you have the ability to find peace, which is mm-hmm. the promise of Christ, peace I leave with you. Mm-hmm. So there's an element of the future is going to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And that gives us a lot of hope that is rooted in the present. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that the Bible and what's amazing about Scripture is that in every age in history, the Bible has been relevant. Mm. And when you think about it, there's not a huge, and, and you know, the older we get, the more, the more I say this, right? There's not a huge gap. I mean, history is short, relatively short. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just think about, um, you know, how long, how long, uh, you know, our parents lived and our grandparents lived. I mean, it's just history at the end, I guess what I'm trying to say is reality is such a short span of time. Mm-hmm. And, and the Bible Connects. You know, what you just said is going to sound so very, very stupid to many young people who have right. only lived like 10, 20 years. Yeah. Or like, because, because 40, 50, 100 years seems like a long time. Yeah. But I just, just, just if we can – and not that we're old. Yeah. We're not young either. <laughs> yeah. We're not young either. And just, just, just to corroborate with that, just as, as the longer we live, we find that, hey, 50 years isn't that long. And I'm assuming that for, mm-hmm. for maybe some of you out there who are 60, 70, 80, 90 years old – Hey, it's not that long, and you look, you yeah. compare that over history. I mean, it's the Earth hasn't, my biblical record isn't that long. I, mean, yeah. I just want to cover that right. experience. Yeah, yeah, because you know, like from the time it took me from seven to eighteen, I felt like eighteen was never going to come, mm-hmm. and then from eighteen to forty three, I'm like, whoa, I just blinked twice. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Right. And so, I guess what I'm trying to say is, we're not as far removed as we would think mm-hmm. from the beginning of our church, or mm-hmm. even from the beginning of the scriptural record. Mm-hmm. Cool. And 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 the beauty, the point. beauty of the Bible is that at every point in history, mm-hmm. it has always been relevant, and it speaks to reality today. And finally, um, the, the 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 last thing I want to say about the 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 Adventist Church is it's a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a story about young people that God used who, from the eyes of the world, would be insignificant. Mm. And and this is not the first time and the only time that God has worked in this way. It's his method of philosophy that he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. And so he uses, uh, you know, young people and the church at some point was, you know... Uh, the church was started by young yeah, people yeah. with in corroboration with, with older people as mentors, but started by, what, a 17-year-old, a 21-year-old, a 23-year-old, 25-year-old? Amazing. I mean, this is how the church got started. We have our roots in that. Yeah. Yeah. And just to go with that, on, on that last point... Um, which is how I how I frame in my mind the importance of studying our history, our heritage. For, for me, it's really at an existential level, at understanding who you are as mm. a person. Mm. Um, when we understand that our church, the founders of our church, were insignificant in the eyes of the world, mm-hmm. a farmer, you know, who 
he's not a theologian by training, you know. And he wasn't young, like he was in his 50s when he started studying this, you know, 62 by the time 1844 happens, right? But then you have teenagers who are convicted by this message and mm-hmm. run with it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you've got people in their early 20s, and they were the ones who were starting organizations. They were mm-hmm. starting publications. They mm-hmm. were, I mean, they were so on fire for the truths that they had been learning. Mm-hmm. When we understand that is in our DNA as mm-hmm. Seventh-day Adventists, it changes. Or I mean, for me, when I began to understand this, mm-hmm. it changed the way that I perceive myself as a member of the church. Yeah. I stopped thinking of when I grow up, I'm going to participate. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, this is who we are as Seventh Day Adventists. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. as a teenager, as a pathfinder, I have a role to play in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it. it so the importance of understanding our heritage, it goes to understanding mm-hmm. who we are, and that impacts how we live now. Mm. Sigur, I mean, awesome point. I think the more that I study Adventist history, and then just not Adventist history, but the context of where Adventist comes from, we see that you used to think that black and white pictures were like, man, these are farmers. <laughs> they had nothing to do. So they're just sitting and like, you know, there's no news going on. They're just, let me just do, I'm so bored. Let me just read the Bible. And then <laughs> the Lord showed. But you study the context of the 1840s. Mm-hmm. There were revolutions happening in Europe, in mm-hmm. your part of the world, Jonathan. And there's revolutions, kingdoms falling apart. This is the end of the world. Mm-hmm. There's social issues happening, social justice issues, just as fervent back in the 1840s in North oh, American yeah. politics as it is today in the 21st yeah. century. That was the context. I mean, it's very similar to what we're going through. Mm. The printing press is just, I mean, there's all these magazines that are just going like crazy, kind of similar to our social media feeds. Just a lot of people are reading and just communication, different formats for sure, mm-hmm. uh, but similar milieu. And in the midst of that, man, like there's, there's this anxiety over the end of the world or what's going to happen. And this is where Adventism is born. Mm. Yeah. Can I ask you guys this? <clears throat> Jesus was supposed to – they thought Jesus was going to come in 1844. Mm. He doesn't. Is this uh, – we the Adventists, we kind of have this like the great disappointment. Mm-hmm. Is this kind of a big point of shame that we as a people kind of carry around wherever we go? <laughs> and we're like, hey, you're the people that believe that Jesus was supposed to come in 1844. Yeah, but it was, it, it, it was earth, not – it was sanctuary, not the earth. And so mm-hmm. it was just – like do we kind of carry that? With us from generation to generation, from culture to culture, as a people, we should. Yeah. Israel, you're shaking your head. Yeah, no, no, we shouldn't because this is God. God thinks about life and about the world very differently than we do mm-hmm. as human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, the same can be said about the great disappointment, which is the greatest disappointment ever faced human history, mm-hmm. which would be the crucifixion of Christ. Right. You know, and. There's a reason for that, you know, and, and, and Jesus had to be crucified. He had to die on the cross because he had to give us a revelation of his character. And so disappointment in many ways and failure from a human perspective, it teaches us a lot about the character of God and the character of humanity, our mm-hmm. own character, mm-hmm. that shows us his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And these things are essential for our salvation. Mm-hmm. And I think the greatest thing that could have ever happened to the church, just like the greatest thing that ever could have happened to Christianity and humanity, is the disappointment of broken and shattered human 
hopes. So God uses even this discouragement and, and disappointment in the larger mm-hmm. scheme of things. Yeah. In the larger scheme of things. Let's go to Matthew 25. And this is our, our text that, that, uh, that we were spending a lot of time in. <laughs> uh, Matthew 25. And Israel, can you read something from verse 1 to verse 13 there? And there, there are some answers to the, to the existential angst that they experienced in 1844, mm-hmm. but also today for us today. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was a foundational text <clears throat> to the early church, I think, as well. Mm-hmm why we're reading it, right? Okay, all right. So it says, uh, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom, tar- but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. And the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and for you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say unto you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Okay, thanks, Israel. Uh, long passage, but really each part is, is builds upon the other. Uh, how does this passage, uh, how is it appropriate for our discussion right now? Well, this, <clears throat> the, it's a parable that Jesus told, mm-hmm. and it's to illustrate the condition of the of the church mm-hmm. uh, before he comes. Mm-hmm. In this story, Jesus, of course, is um, represented as the bridegroom who is coming to see, to to you know uh, for for the second coming, mm-hmm. uh, coming back. And the the ten virgins are a representation of the believers in the last days. Now, in, before 1844, they thought Jesus is coming 1844. Mm-hmm. So this is why this, of course, was very relevant to them. Mm-hmm. But there is uh, two groups here: um, five foolish, five wise, mm-hmm. uh, and. This, the, the distinction between the two uh, is very important uh, as far as how do we prepare for Jesus' second coming mm-hmm. today because mm-hmm. we still believe he is coming. Mm-hmm. We just don't know when. We're mm-hmm. not going to set any dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, you know, That's every- a great irony in this passage and uh, on, in chapter 24 and sure. chapter 25. There's all this like, hey, you don't know the day or the hour. You don't, you know, mm-hmm. In chapter 24, verse 36, the, of the day and an hour, no one knows, even the angels of heaven, not my father only. No one knows, no one knows, and no one knows. But the, Adventist, the early Adventist believers were like, hey, 24, 25, this is totally correct, and we know exactly when he's coming. Mm-hmm. Like it's just that it's just, they were kind of blind to, to, to that those two verses. Yeah. Um, how do, how does this explain why, why is uh, there's it's common it's a common element in these stories here in the parables that that Jesus coming has a delay. Mm-hmm. Why? What happens when we read the parable in yes. chapter twenty five? What happens yes. during that delay? Yes, is that it becomes a, an opportunity to reveal the pre- the preparedness mm-hmm. of the church. Okay. and here we got you know these. The church as a woman, you know, and and they're, they're, the bridesmaids are waiting for the groom, mm-hmm. um, representing the church waiting for Jesus to come. Mm-hmm. So this time of delay, the time of tarrying, the time of waiting, reveals something that was uh, that transpired before even this tarrying happened, before the delay happened. Mm-hmm. And what had transpired here is you have the bridesmaids; they all have lamps, mm-hmm. they all fall asleep. But the difference is some carry 
an extra vessel that has oil in it mm-hmm. in preparation for if there is a tarrying time, right? Mm-hmm. There's a certain element of preparedness that they have that the other you know, bridesmaids do not have. Mm-hmm. And that time of tarrying, if there were not that time of tarrying, that distinction would not be seen because you still have, you have your lamps mm-hmm. and they're burning, right? Mm-hmm. But making sure that you've got enough oil to make sure that the lamps keep burning mm-hmm. is the difference between the two classes. Mm-hmm. And the time of tarrying permits for that to be shown. And it reminds me, incidentally, of Jesus when he talks about, you know, letting the wheat and the tares grow together. He's mm-hmm. like, at the, at the end, it will be revealed, mm-hmm. you know, who's the wheat and the tares. Right now, you may not be able to see. Everybody looks like they got a lamp. Everybody mm-hmm. looks like it's burning, right? Mm-hmm. But when, when trials and, and difficulties come, then that that challenge becomes an opportunity to reveal, mm-hmm. you know, the hot water, whether you're going to be, you know, what kind of tea you got, right? Okay. <laughs> the hot water in, <laughs> the, in the cup, yeah. you know, okay. mixing, mixing up analogies. Okay. Like, fine. <laughs> yeah. I think um, it, it's crazy because what we want God to do, is, it's, it's funny and interesting. You know, like, God, we want you to tell us who's good and who's bad. Then God shows, all right, well, this person's bad. This, why are you so judgmental, right? And then we, we blast God. Crisis ultimately has a way of revealing mm-hmm. what true character is. Mm-hmm. Now you have here uh, uh, these virgins who are part of the bridegroom's party, meaning that they're there to serve the bridegroom. That's their purpose. Mm-hmm. When you look at Scripture, the Bible says, you know, your word is a lamp unto my feet, uh, light unto my path. Yeah. Th- th- this is all descriptive. It's a parable speaking about the fact that this woman or this church believes in the word of God. They have the, the Bible with them. Mm-hmm. The difference here is that, as Siku already said, there's having an understanding of Scripture is not enough mm-hmm. to give salvation, right? Mm-hmm. Salvation must have a transformative work in the character mm-hmm. and the life of the individual. Now, I often used to, I used to blast the virgins for falling asleep. You know, I'm like, why these, they shouldn't have fallen asleep, right? But midnight is a time when people usually sleep. Right. So it's like a natural kind of occurrence of events takes place. The bridegroom tarries. It's midnight. They fall asleep like anybody else would fall asleep. But that sleeping revealed a crisis when the bridegroom comes. Now, the Bible says in Second Corinthians uh, 4, it says that we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, in earthen vessels, which is us. We are these earthen vessels. And the difference between the foolish virgins, which, by the way, the psalmist tells us, David tells us, that the foolish people are the ones who say there is no God, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So here you have a group of people uh, who say that they're Christians, who believe in the Bible, but yet at the same time, even though we believe in Scripture, God can be of no real effect in our lives. Mm-hmm. So you have, this, you have the difference between the two as not their understanding of Scripture, but rather the fact that the Holy Spirit has illuminated scripture to them, but the Holy Spirit has not had a working power Mm -hmm. in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is when crisis comes, the understanding of scripture is not enough because their characters have not been transformed by the oil of grace, which changes the life. And I think crisis reveals character. And I think that's a critical reason why God sometimes allows Mm -hmm. the delays Mm -hmm. to happen because it shows who really practices what they preach. Mm-hmm. On that note, there's, there's a lot of thoughts that come to my mind. I mean, we have just scratched <laughs> the, the, the conversation, uh, but we want to encourage you to continue studying this and get your own uh, group together and study about Adventist history. Some lessons that I come away with is 
crisis reveals character, and the Lord wants us not just to believe in it because of a date or because of an event or because of some kind of catastrophe, but because for the reality of the relationship itself. And we need a double portion of the Holy Spirit. And I know that's my prayer. Hopefully that's the prayer of you guys. They're all nodding. Hopefully you're nodding all out there as well. We want to continue our study in Adventist heritage. Next week, we're going to look at one of the greatest treasures that have been unearthed in the Bible study on the doctrine of the sanctuary. And what is the sanctuary? Where is the sanctuary? And what does that reveal about Jesus and what we are doing on in, in this timeline of Earth's history? Hopefully, these topics will intrigue you to get into an understanding of Adventist heritage, and not just all for history's sake, but for our identity, our message, and our mission. This is Inverse. My name is Justin. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week here. You've been listening to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation with Callie Williams, Israel Ramos, Jonathan Walter, Sebastian Braxton, Siku Dako, and your host, Justin Kim. Inverse is brought to you by The Hope Channel, television that changes lives. For this and more inspiring episodes, visit inverse.hopetv.org. Find us on social media, hashtag InverseBible. Until next time, This is Inverse.